Hi, I'm David Freudberg, host of Humankind. Listeners know that we explore many realms of the human journey, and some of our podcasts, including some of my favorites, delve into wisdom traditions, sometimes ancient writings or teachings that arise from a variety of backgrounds, sources that help us to focus on truths that really matter. And a lot of this boils down to connecting to something bigger than ourselves, to see that we're all part of some mysterious river of meaning, that the whole is truly greater than the sum of its parts. When I can get calm and touch that inner place of quietude, it points me homeward. Thank you. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston and supported by the Humankind Program Fund. Additional funding for this series has been provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, the National Institutes of Health, the Annie E. Casey Foundation, and the Park Foundation. I like to emphasize, even to people with AIDS or terminal cancer, something that as long as you're breathing, from our perspective, from the perspective of mindfulness-based stress reduction, there's more right with you than wrong with you. And what we're proposing to do with people who take the stress reduction clinic program is pour energy in the form of attention and loving kindness into what's right with us and let the rest of the medical system take care of what's wrong with us. Activating the body's innate capacity for healing starts in the present moment. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. Over the decades, John Kabat-Zinn has practiced and taught meditation to audiences as diverse as corporate CEOs and Olympic athletes, people whose active lives are made more resilient when they take downtime for calm reflection. And nowhere has the impact been more dramatic than in his work with tens of thousands of medical patients. We forget how miraculous it is to have a body and to be alive and to be able to see and hear and smell and taste and touch and think and love. And, and, and we just focus on what's wrong with us and not what's right with us. So this is a kind of, in some sense, a, a, a remedy for that, a recognition of the beauty of being human in, in the face of, say, cancer or heart disease or chronic pain or whatever it is. And when you pour energy in the form of that kind of loving attention into uh, the actuality of the present moment, it turns out that that unleashes certain deep interior healing capacities that are part and parcel of having this universe of a body that is really a self-healing mechanism. John Kabat-Zinn was longtime director of the Stress Reduction Clinic at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. It's a leading center training patients in a meditative practice known as MBSR, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. Meditation has been absorbed into medicine and into the mainstream of medicine, both clinically and in terms of scientific research, in ways that were literally inconceivable 
If you think back to 1979, when I started the stress reduction clinic, and it's being funded by the NIH at a very, very high level now in terms of clinical research and basic research. And uh, that includes now this technology is available through functional magnetic resonance imaging and uh, CAT scanning and things like that. Uh, we can do non-invasive views of the brain and the nervous system that tell us what's going on when people are meditating. And one of the things we're finding is that when you train attention and kindness and compassion in the heart and in the brain, so to speak, in the human being, that you see uh, patterns in brain scans that neuroscientists have never seen before. In other words, there is more and more mounting evidence that you can train your mind to be more spacious, more open, clearer, uh, more compassionate, and uh, therefore much more emotionally intelligent than um, anybody ever thought. These are enormous changes in medicine. We, we can really document it to a, a higher level of scientific precision. Correct. Let me give you a couple of examples from my own research one of which is a study of people with the skin disease psoriasis. Now, psoriasis is an uncontrolled cell proliferation in the epidermis, but it's not cancer, even though cancer is also an uncontrolled cell proliferation. But it has kissing cousin genes to basal cell carcinoma, which is skin cancer. And um, many years ago, we developed a collaboration with the Department of Dermatology around the treatment of uh, people with the skin disease psoriasis because stress is a big part of uh, the inflammatory process of psoriasis. And the thought was maybe we could do a study that showed that if we train people in meditation while they were receiving treatments for psoriasis, that they'd heal faster. Because their stress that, would be reduced. Exactly, or that their minds would be engaged in the process of healing in a particular way. And so uh, it turns out there's no cure for psoriasis, but the, the treatment of choice nowadays is um, ultraviolet light therapy or ultraviolet light therapy combined with a kind of drug therapy. So that's called either phototherapy or photochemotherapy. And what we showed in a number of clinical trials, small, but nevertheless, you know, the statistics really jump out at you, is that if people are meditating while they're receiving the ultraviolet light therapy, uh, they heal four times as fast as the people who just get the ultraviolet light therapy by itself, suggesting that something that they're doing in that light box that has to do with the mind is influencing a healing process all the way down to the level of gene expression and cell division in the epidermis. That is just extraordinary. Another study that I did in collaboration with uh, Richard Davidson and his group at the University of Wisconsin, the Laboratory of Affective Neuroscience, is we did a randomized clinical trial of MBSR in a work setting in a high-tech biotech company in Madison, Wisconsin, where we trained half of the people in the study in MBSR, an eight-week-long uh, intervention where they come to class once a week on work 
time, and they are trained in mindfulness, as described in my book, Full Catastrophe Living. And what we found was that the people who were in the MBSR, the meditation group, they showed brain changes in the region of the brain called the prefrontal cortex, shifts in the brain that are comparable to the kinds of shifts, at least qualitatively comparable in direction to the kinds of shifts uh, we see in monks who've been meditating for 20, 30, or 40 years in the Himalayas uh, using very advanced meditation practices. So how does this benefit the worker who has practiced this mindfulness meditation and registered these brain changes? Before I answer that, I'll just say that we did one other thing, which is give everybody a flu vaccine at the end of the eight weeks, both the control group and the MBSR meditators, and found that the meditators mounted a stronger antibody response to the flu vaccine, and there was a linear relationship between the degree of brain shift right to left and the degree of antibody response in the, in the bloodstream. So this suggests that both changes in the brain and changes in the immune system in the direction of greater emotional intelligence and greater robustness to uh, respond to infection uh, are related to the meditation training. So this has profound implications because it says that, you know, the workers in that uh, high-stress work environment, by taking some time to cultivate mindfulness during the day and at home and so forth in the ways that we prescribe, uh, can actually uh, make themselves more um, resilient and more resistant to uh, potential infection, common colds, things like that, and also handle the workload better uh, and deal more effectively with the kinds of emotional stresses that often come up at work. Because a lot of the problem with work is really other people and pressures that are associated with other people either doing their jobs or not doing their jobs and so forth. And to skillfully navigate those waters can reduce the stress not only in individuals but also in the corporate work setting itself. Listening to Humankind, I'm David Freudberg. For more information on this segment, part two of The Present Moment with John Kabat Zinn, please visit humanmedia.org. Mindfulness meditation is a way of seeing life in which a person develops the skill of observing their thoughts and actions without getting drawn into ego-based emotional reactions. The key is to stay grounded in the present, instead of taking flight into memories of the past or projections of the future. It requires a lot of practice, because our emotional habits can be deeply ingrained. But the benefits can be profound, especially for people who are ill. Mindfulness can free them of worry and fear about the future because they are solidly rooted in the present. For John Kabat-Zinn, trying to practice mindfulness in the face of medical problems has become very personal. I've had some wonderful encounters with intense pain and discomfort and fear and uh, all sorts of other emotions and sensations around this kind of a life occurrence. And, and I say wonderful because it's really incredibly revealing of how amazing 
the body's healing capacity is. Shortly before our interview, John came home from major surgery. I had what's called a Birmingham hip resurfacing procedure on my right hip, okay, which is not a total hip replacement, but it's very deeply invasive procedure. And, um, and every single day since, I've been um, noticing remarkable changes in the direction of recovering what will hopefully be absolute full functioning of the leg and the hip joint and everything, and if, in many ways go way beyond my, uh, the condition that I had before I had the surgery, which you know was one of the cartilage in, the, in that hip joint being worn away. So uh, it was really bone on bone, and I had some very interesting experiences of uh, pain and disability you know, in relationship to that. And uh, they say I could run again and snowboard or do whatever I want once I've gone through the entire rehab program. But since much of the work that I do in mindfulness-based stress reduction or MBSR is at its very foundation, the work of rehabilitation in the sense of the word that means learning to live inside again after any life event or other, then... um, It's very interesting for me to experience this rehabilitation, so to speak, the trajectory of it and what I have to learn. And so from that point of view, my entire day and my entire night is uh, the unfolding of mindfulness, including those times when I just like I'm in a lot of pain and don't want to move and just watch football or whatever it is that I'm doing. But it's all in some way part of the meditation. What, as you went through this challenging chapter, you're still in it, you're still recuperating from the operation, did you see in a new perspective that may have crystallized some of your awareness of mindfulness, your perceptions of this path of mindfulness that you've been walking, had been hobbling, and now will Mm -hmm. presumably be walking upright uh, for a long time to come. Well, thank you. One thing is that the years and years and years of yoga and meditation practice, I think, let me be in optimal physical and mental condition in the first place to be able to respond maximally to the surgery and to the healing process so that I'm uh, healing probably a lot faster than many people would even younger than I would be, in part because I've been doing yoga for the past 40 years, and so everything in the body is toned, and in fact, the surgeon said there was very little fat in there, you know, in the hip joint, which surprised him, and from that point of view, I think I'm on a very rapid healing trajectory. Uh, The fact that I can bring my mind to bear on the body, on the hip joint, on the pain, on the swelling, on the changes that occur from day to day, and on the physical therapy exercises that the physical therapists have given me in the hospital and now that I'm out of the hospital, and do them both religiously and mindfully. It all is one seamless whole in terms of this process of rehabilitation. Everybody, day and night, took unbelievably good care of me, and it was very, very compassionate and mindful and I was truly touched by that. When you say that you brought your mind to bear on the healing process, how did you do so? 
Well, mindfulness is really about the cultivation of a tender-hearted attention. So it's uh, a matter of focusing in on the body and experiencing uh, the full range of sensations that arise moment by moment because it all has to do with attending to experience in the present moment and then noticing also what arises in the mind in the forms of uh, emotions and uh, such as sort of fear or impatience or trepidation or doubt or whatever because I mean any kind of procedure like this, you know, you don't really know what the outcome is. You don't really know the surgeon. I mean, you basically trust the surgeon simply because, you know, you had one or two encounters and say, yeah, seems like a good guy and CV looks okay, but you don't know. And so, so did you have to wrestle with some of those apprehensions going into a major operation? Oh, of course, because it's natural for these kinds of things to arise in the mind. I think if it, they don't arise in the mind, in a sense, there's something wrong with you. I mean, you know, uh, it would be really unusual to not have any, con- you know, concerns about the quality of the, of the medical care and the surgical care and so forth. So how did the techniques of mindfulness you've been cultivating for so long help you face those natural, understandable emotions of fear and anxiety? Well, the practice really involves seeing thoughts as thoughts and emotions as emotions, and they're very, very tightly coupled, and then recognizing that they have a life of their own, but they're just thoughts. And so uh, their content isn't necessarily true. You can act on it to whatever degree you care to by asking questions, by doing research before you make the decision to do it. But once you make the decision to go in this direction, I mean, you can never go backwards. You can't say, well, I'd like you to just reinstall my screwed up hip. Do you know what I'm saying? Once they've done this, you can't go back. So there's a certain point in which you simply accept that this has happened and you let go. And then you work with what is, which is this healing trajectory that hopefully will all unfold in a good way. But you don't really know that, and there can be bumps along the road and more fear and more trepidation and a lot of pain. And it's like a question of, well, how to be in wise relationship to that pain. And that's where the mindfulness and this quality of affectionate attention really comes in because you can allow your heart and your mind to be spacious rather than contracted and and in some sense open to not knowing how things are going to unfold. There's a certain kind of determination or resolve that comes out of just realizing that you just jumped off a cliff. You don't really know how it's going to go. The statistics look good or you wouldn't have done it and they wouldn't be doing these kinds of things in the hospital if they weren't more or less successful. But you don't care about more or less successful. You care about yourself, not statistics with 100 or 1,000 patients. So is there a leap of faith in the process? Of course there is. And this is a leap of faith that's intrinsic to the meditation practice. And that is that, you know, a lot of the time we're caught up in our head to such a degree that we're virtually out of touch with reality because we're... constructing a certain kind of storyline about reality, morning, noon, and night, year in, year out. And so we're living more the story of our lives 
generated by thinking than our lives. And what the meditation practice does in a certain sense is balance all the things we think we know with a larger not knowing that is a true kind of spaciousness of awareness that allows you to be comfortable with not knowing. Now, it turns out that's not so strange because scientists, all great scientists, have to move up to the place where we go to the absolute horizon or boundary of what is known. And then it's like a big leap into the unknown. And when you have an insight or some kind of revelation of a connection that has always been there but no one ever saw before, in order to have that kind of aha experience or eureka experience, you have to be willing to let go of what you know because sometimes it's extremely oppressive and, uh, and uh, inhibiting of true insight. So what did you feel you had to let go of in order to enter this process with clarity? I think ultimately everything, the desire that it would uh, work out, that I wouldn't get a hospital-acquired infection that, you know, happens with much greater frequency now than it used to, with much more serious uh, organisms that can actually kill you so that you go in for something elective and you come out dead. It happens to people. So a whole range of different things that ultimately you have to just let go of, notice that it's just like, you know, fear, thoughts, and then go with what is. And, uh, and that, of course, is true moment by moment with whatever's going on. It doesn't just apply to uh, you know, special cases like surgery or anything like that. It has to do with all of our relationships inwardly with ourselves and outwardly with other people. And the more we can, this is really, this practice is really about liberating ourselves from the, the habits of mind and the conditioning uh, of mind that starts very, very young and that, that actually uh, constrains our view of who we are and what is possible in life. And so uh, when practicing meditation over the long haul for not just days and weeks and months, as in the stress reduction clinic, but years and decades, um, one comes to a kind of comfort zone about the good, the bad, and the ugly, so to speak, what Zorba, the Greek, called the full catastrophe of life, the human condition, where we no longer take everything so personally. And even though, you know, you might have fears about my hip, or I might have fears about my hip and how my leg is going to work and how my life is going to unfold from here on, I am cognizant at the same time through the cultivation of mindfulness that this is all just part of a much larger unfolding and that it is in some sense mysterious and I can just be with it and learn from it as things unfold. Make peace with the mystery. Exactly. Live inside the mystery in some way without making it mystical uh, or make some big mysterious story out of it, but to just realize that this is part of being human and is part of the healing process and part of rehabilitation on the deepest levels is to learn to live inside not just your body after something like this, but your heart and your mind. And that's something that even if there's nothing wrong with you and you don't have surgery and there's no particular crisis, 
virtually all of us need to learn to live inside again because to a very large degree, since childhood at least, we may have forgotten who we are and we may be zoning along on trajectories that are more or less automatic, unconscious, on autopilot, and living lives that, you know, I mean, Thoreau talked about the farmers of Concord Mass 150 years ago living lives of quiet desperation. Now I think we're living lives of noisy desperation. But uh, certainly, you know, um, this is something that's applicable to virtually any human being who cares about not coming to the end of his or her days and realizing, as Thoreau put it in Walden, that, you know, he hadn't lived because he mistook what was actually going on, his story of what was actually going on for the actuality of what's going on. In order to tune into the actuality, we have to learn to get out of our own way. And there's a kind of graceful gesture associated with the cultivation of mindfulness that really is getting out of our own way. In his book, Coming to Our Senses, John Kabat-Zinn explains how people practicing mindfulness see the act of breathing while in meditation. We are not, he writes, thinking about the breath or the breath sensations, so much as we are feeling the breath, riding on the waves of the breath like a leaf on a pond, or as if we were floating on a rubber raft on some gentle waves on an ocean or a lake, feeling the breath sensations moment by moment by moment. We train our medical patients, no matter what kinds of conditions they are referred to the clinic for, in this, these kinds of practices. And it turns out they have very profound effects on uh, the unfolding of their symptoms and the course of their disease or pain conditions or stress problems. No matter what the kind of specifics of their condition or the diagnosis is. And I like to emphasize even to people with AIDS or terminal cancer or something that as long as you're breathing, from our perspective, from the perspective of mindfulness-based stress reduction, there's more right with you than wrong with you. And what we're proposing to do with people who take the stress reduction clinic program is pour energy in the form of attention and loving kindness into what's right with us and let the rest of the medical system take care of what's wrong with us. And it's very profound. Is that energy that we pour into ourselves shining the light on our own strengths? Yes, I think a lot of people don't feel that they actually have very much in the way of strengths, interior strengths. And part of it is the discovery that being human is like, you know, means virtually that we're a miraculous being. I mean, how, when was the last time uh, that you thanked your liver for everything that it's doing moment by moment to keep you alive, you know? 30,000 enzymatic reactions per second, you know? I mean, if we were at the controls of that, forget it. I mean, we'd be dead already. Or even your breath, you know? I like to joke that, you know, uh, we can hold our breath for a period of time, but we can't commit suicide by holding our breath if we got really depressed. It's just not possible to do because the brainstem won't let you do it. It takes over and it makes you breathe even if it forces you to lose consciousness. But I like to say, you know, I mean, um, if it were up to us to remember to keep breathing, we would have died long ago because we had gotten distracted. You know, I forgot, like, whoops, dead. So breathing, heart, every function of the body. Mm-hmm. 
mindfulness is the practice of living fully in the present, noticing the wondrous flow of natural activity we don't control, but that operates effortlessly, a reassuring view for people who must rely on the body's intrinsic ability to regenerate and to heal, and one that is hit very close to home for John Kabat-Zinn, author of Coming to Our Senses, and Wherever You Go, There You Are. Listening to Humankind, I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Steve Colby. Editorial assistance from Thomas Royal. Webmaster Brian K. Johnson. Special thanks to Tony Buck. program is presented by Human Media in association with The Network Incorporated. Program development and support provided by Shart Media. To purchase a CD copy of this program, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN. That's 1-800-5-L-I-S-T-E-N. Or visit our website where you can also obtain an audio download of this and our other programs and can hear selected episodes free. You can access free written materials related to this program as well. Our web address is humanmedia.org. That's humanmedia.org. Again, if you'd like to purchase a CD copy of Humankind by phone, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN, and our web address is humanmedia.org. This segment, part two of The Present Moment with John Kabat-Zinn, is Humankind Program number 124. The executive producer is David Freudberg. This is Humankind. To hear more episodes of Humankind, you can subscribe to our free podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast player. A new episode each week. The podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. And if you enjoy this program, be sure to leave us a kind review at iTunes and Stitcher. If you want to support the program, please visit humanmedia.org. And at the top of the homepage, click on How You Can Help. Again, our web address is humanmedia.org. Thanks.